chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. We hear about John the Baptist's death because it relates to Jesus. What's unique about this is we hear about the superstitious beliefs of the people of that time. In a few chapters, we're going to hear Jesus ask his disciples the questions, who do people say I am? One of the answers is John the Baptist. You guys remember that. That's because they thought people could either rise from the dead, be reincarnated, or to have something else happen to where after death they could live on. Here we see that Jesus is being looked at as John the Baptist reincarnated or resurrected or his spirit has now been transferred over to his, something weird like that. We can obviously tell this guy doesn't read his Bible. Everybody listening to me. He's listening to Madam Chloe from 1-800-Psychic here, but he is not reading his Bible. Herod the Tetrarch is a kind of false king, a, a propped up king. Not a false king, but really a faux king, a wannabe king. Because the Roman Empire had conquered nations like Israel and then put up little kings of their own people to rule over them so that their oppression would be a little bit more tolerable. So Herod is just propped up by the Romans to rule over Jerusalem and the Jewish people, but he really doesn't have a lot of power. He's just there to make the oppression go better. Now the problem with this is, is he's also over their temple, which is a religious place for the Jewish people, so he gets kind of like a spiritual clout, and now he has a voice, and his voice is one to give confusion over who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He's not John the Baptist. Now watch what happened with Herod. Verse 3, Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying, It is not lawful for you to have her. Can you get a piece of this story right here? Let's not let it pass us by. Herod has a brother named Philip. Philip has a wife named Herodias. Herodias and Herod start to like each other. The problem is both of them are married. They then have an affair, divorce their spouses, then get married together. How many know that's messy? To marry your sister-in-law, fellas. Think about that for a second. Women, to marry your brother-in-law. Think about how crazy that is. That's how the world was back then, and it's not too different today. But watch what John the Baptist does. John the Baptist gets arrested and put in prison because he had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John because he was afraid of the people. He, uh, he didn't do it because they considered him a prophet. So though he wanted to kill him, he didn't because of the people's opinion. So just like any politician, he's only doing what the people want. A lot of times people think like, oh, Hillary Clinton, she's so friendly towards the immigration. Look back at her husband. Look at her views. She's only changing it now for votes. People are like, oh, Obama, he loves immigration. No, he sent out more immigrants back to their home country than any president before him. He just wanted to do that so the Democratic Party could win and put out his word. Oh, they're so pro-homosexual. Look at the Democratic Party. Oh, the Democratic Party just 10 years ago was all against homosexual marriage. Why is that? I'm not just saying to Democrats. I'm just saying in general, why do people change in politics? Just to get more of this, just to get more votes, to make you think they're on your side. So you got to be careful with politicians and even people on your job and others who just go with the flow and the trends. But John the Baptist got arrested because he was pointing out the man's sin. I actually heard a pastor that I respect Use this as an example to why Christians should not get involved in politics. This is basically what he said. John the Baptist would have been a great disciple and probably was supposed to be, but he lost his head, pun intended. He lost his head because he took his eyes off Jesus and started messing with politics, and that's why he died. He should have been one of Jesus' disciples. Do you think you can point your finger at uh, John the Baptist and say, oh, John the Baptist, you stupid, stupid person? Or do we look at John the Baptist as a hero? Well, it all depends on whether or not you want to be politically correct or biblically correct. If you want to be politically correct, then he did all the wrong things here. He should have read Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. This is not the way you go about it, John. Come on now. Who do you think you are? Are you perfect? Who are you to judge him? Or 
You look at the Bible, and the Bible says the word of God judges all, including the preacher. But we are to preach to all sinners, starting with ourselves. Are you listening? If you're biblically correct, you believe that it's our job to preach to kings and queens and those in government. And sometimes people say, well, at least we don't have a king or a queen, thank God. Yo, we do have kings and queens. They've just switched from their places of patriarchy and all of those things and monarchy to now do our sports and entertainment. Those are the kings and queens of American culture. Say something about Beyonce, and you'll see how quick. She's the queen of a lot of people's lives. Are you listening to me? Say something about the Cubs, and you'll see something about a follower of a kingdom and how quickly they get offended. We have kings and queens. They're just not in a monarchy. They're people we pay to watch on TV or to entertain us. And so my question is to you, do you have enough spiritual cojones that you want to be biblically correct and speak to the powers, the word of God, whatever the consequence, or do you want to be politically correct, walking on eggshells, not offending anybody? If you had a choice, I'm asking you. If you had a choice, I made my choice. Amen? I made my choice. And I'm going to tell you something real quick here. I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but we will be persecuted for this. It's already happening right now. All we will see in this premise right here, uh, rather in this story, is the premise Christians don't have rights. You will see that as the basis to how John the Baptist gets beheaded. And I want to tell you right now, brother and sister, you and I are having our rights taken away. And a few more rights we taken away, we will be right here. For example, there are people right now that are in court in this country because they did not want to bake a cake for a lesbian couple or a homosexual couple. They simply said, it goes against our religion. But they are now being brought to court and being told if they don't do it, they're going to lose their business. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the gay and lesbian couple who owns the bakery should make me a cake that says homosexuality is a sin against God, deserving of hell, and put some red flames on there? You think they're going to make that cake for me on Halstead today? Why do they get to decide who they serve and who they don't? You see, what's happening is not equal rights. It's uber rights. It's kicking someone out of the closet as they're pushing us into the closet. I want them to have just as much right to have that cake as the next person. Just don't ask me to violate my religious conscience to do it. That's like asking a Muslim to make you barbecue pork. Serve it up for me, sir. Make me barbecue pork. Put on the cake. Muhammad was a false prophet. One guy actually did that. He called around and said, would you make a gay cake to the, uh, to the Muslim community? And, of course, none of them did, and none of them are being sued. But because there's an anti-Christian bias in this nation... And all other religions and worldview join together against it. And if you don't believe me, just come street preaching with me. The Hindu, the Muslim, the atheist, the Buddhist will all join together for a few moments to have their common enemy shut down, the Christian. Also right now you have Chick-fil-A, Christian business. He doesn't put the cross up above his sign. He puts a chicken or, you know, the, the cow saying eat more uh, chicken, you know. But yet you have aldermen's like in this city, Marino, who I have met, tried to get Chick-fil-A not even allowed to have a business here, and now other mayors are not allowing them in the airports for one reason, one reason only, because he has a Christian mindset in his business. Yet they are the most popular and successful franchise per store than any franchise in America right now. Why are we being persecuted? Why is it today there is a gay pride parade, and today in other nations they're having that same gay pride parade, and if Christians go out there, we're looked at as the troublemakers. One man, you can find him, he's an African-American man, was preaching at the one in Canada, was not saying anything hateful, was simply preaching the gospel. They assaulted him. They took away his microphone. They pushed him. He went to jail, and they're still fine. How long do you think it will take before one law is passed that says this? You can fire a Christian for their beliefs. You can beat a Christian for their beliefs. How many watched the live video of me preaching in Logan Square with the guy angry and cursing at me? What if I did not have any rights like they don't in Pakistan? like they don't in Afghanistan, in Syria, in North Korea, in China. How long do you think it will take before what we saw happen in communist, socialist, and Islamic nations happens here? Now let me just tell you this. 
The Bible says it's coming no matter what. So I'm not going to start listening to Alex Jones' info wars and start trying to find out about the Illuminati. The Antichrist is coming no matter what. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Even if we discern his identity by knowing the Hebrew letters and going through the Bible and cross-referencing them, he's still coming. So here's what we need to do. We need to be ready for martyrdom and everything in between. From persecution to losing our jobs to being made fun of to being ostracized. Jack Black will dress up like Jesus on Saturday Night Live and make fun of all the Christians, yet he's a coward and a chicken. He won't do that with Muhammad. Why? Because the world knows Jesus is the answer and that we turn the other cheek and that Muslims are not the answer and they'll behead you if you do. So they don't want to mess with them. Let's make fun of Jesus. Leave Muhammad alone. Don't you see the hypocrisy? You see it everywhere you go. You might say, well, pastor, a lot of Christians act bad. Sure, and we'll correct that. But we don't eliminate freedom of speech, even for people we disagree with. You might say, well, it's hate speech. Me disagreeing with you is not hate speech. Hate speech doesn't exist. What the Bible says is truth is not hateful. It's love. And I trust God's definitions. Are you listening to me? And what this country is built upon is that idea. And so it's not hate speech that is illegal. It is threatening speech. And I can guarantee you that today when the brothers go out and sisters go preach at gay gay parade, the gay pride parade, they will not be speaking threatening speech, but those hearing it will hear it as hate speech. Yet the most loving thing you can do for the LGBT community is tell them that what they're doing is sin and God can transform them. I love having Sadia with us, a former lesbian and cross-dresser wanting to be a boy and when she preaches like we did at Bodequa Fest. And you can hear her telling her testimony. People give all disgusting looks. And then I look at them and I go, what, she can't tell her truth? What, she can't be her? You've got something against her now? You, you are intolerant towards her. Why can't she renounce her lifestyle, call it sin, and you accept it? You'll accept an 11-year-old drag queen young boy putting on lipstick and wigs and shaking his thing. Are you listening? Have you seen the young drag queen boy? I just saw it again in one of my research classes. I'm doing a, uh, being prophetic to this generation in my doctoral studies, and I had to find it's disgusting. You'll accept that, but yet you won't accept the truth of a former lesbian saying, I was deceived, and now Jesus set me free. I'm the happiest I've ever been. I just got married to a man that was a former bisexual. Boy, that sure makes the devil mad. You see, the tolerance of the intolerance is hypocrisy. They're not really tolerating. You see, we really tolerate, don't we? How many of you know somebody that disagrees with you, but you still love them? You still believe that they're a human being, that they have the right to share their opinions. Come on. How many know if we were having a Jesus parade and there was people dressed like RuPaul at our Jesus parade, how many know we would love them? How many know if they stood in front of this church and protested, we would love them? What's the difference? Is that what they call tolerance is really not tolerance. What it is is domination. It's wanting to change people's opinions, and if you don't accept me, I'm going to kill you. Well, now you understand what's going on in John the Baptist's time. Sin! Who are you to judge me? Sin! I'm going to arrest you! Sin! Behead him. That's what they did. So today, I'm making a decision for this church, and then you can decide what you do. But as for us, in this house, we're serving God. We're going to be biblically correct. Amen? And we'll debate it publicly. We will go out and do it uh, honorably. We will defend ourselves, whether it's on TV, at the universities, because you know when I go out to Wright College, I cause a stir there. I tell them all the time, get the professor equal time. We'll even pay for his time. Let's discuss these things because I believe it, and we're going to live by it. Amen? So he wanted to kill John, but he didn't because he was afraid of the people. Verse 6, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Do you have uh, any idea how perverse this is? Let's, let's not let it go by us right here. So he married his brother's wife. The girl dancing was once his niece, but is now his stepdaughter. And the kind of dancing she's dancing implied in this context is not ballet. He is getting turned on by his stepdaughter 
juking and dropping it like it's hot. And we wonder why? Because she nasty, just like her mama nasty. See, I used to go with the hood, and I would see these girls nasty, you know, juking and dropping it like it's hot and all that. And I would want to talk to the mama, but then all of a sudden the next song comes on, the mama juking it with them. And I'm like, y'all nasty. You nasty because your mama nasty. Are you all listening to me? How many have been to block parties and seen mamas get nasty? Don't act like you don't know up in here. I'm not saying that it always has to be that way. If you got a nasty daughter, that doesn't mean that your mama's nasty. I'm just saying there's a lot of nasty daughters that learn being nasty from their mama because their mama got three baby daddies. So we learn from this that sin is hereditary. Look at your life. Who taught you how to sin? I mean, a lot of it you taught yourself, but I'm sure there were people around you teaching you how to sin. Did your dad teach you how to get drunk, mistreat your mom, leave the family? Come on, let's get serious. Did your brother teach you the gang signs? Did your sister teach you how to go out and get boys and lie to your mom and say that you were spending the night at your best friend's house, but you were making out with a boy at, at their house? You see, family doesn't get the right to violate the laws of God because they're family. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I don't care who you are in my life. I don't care what you've done for me. If you are not setting an example for me living for God, I'm not following you. I might make my oros con condules like you, mama. I might hang out and talk and have fun and play dominoes like you, mama, but I'm not dropping it like it's hot like you, mama. I'm not going to have three baby daddies like you, mama. Are you listening? You got to tell your mama that. You got to tell your daddy that. You got to tell your brother that. You've got to tell your sister that. So this nasty family, mom cheats on this girl's dad with her uncle. Now they're married. Now she juking it for her stepdad who used to be the uncle. And the Bible says he got turned on. It pleased him. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked, prompted by her mother. See, mother manipulating, right? Using the daughter to get her ways. Said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. So whether or not you're watching Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, edited, by the way, VidAngel, great app for that, or you're watch, uh, reading the Bible, or you're listening to a, a song, or you're watching reality TV, people are as wicked Listen to me, as much as they can get away with. So in this culture, you could be as wicked as pedophilia, cool in the Roman religions and in the Roman world governments. Yeah, a wicked as orgies, could do it all the time at public baths if you want to. As wicked as witchcraft and drug abuse, yep, could do that. Too. As wicked as arenas where wild beasts would tear apart prisoners for their entertainment. And as wicked as if your daughter jukes, you could get the king to bring a head on a platter. Has the human heart changed? Or are we just bound up by a few more laws than they are right now? I wonder if they made it legal to start watching animals tear apart people, if we would do it again. They did it. I wonder if it was legal to give children. You know that, oh, by the way, it's already happening. I watched a whole documentary, and Lord forgive me, because I don't know the exact country, but I'll just take a guess, Southeast Asia, Thailand. They did a documentary on sex trafficking. You know what they discovered? The fathers are so excited to have daughters. Why? Because they give their daughters to the sex trade willingly at 9, 10, 11 years old. As wicked as our hearts are, we will follow that path as much as the government or the culture allows us. And in this culture, they said, Christians aren't worth much. You can behead them. You can behead them if you want. You can beat them. You can stone them. Where did it become a problem at one point? Paul, you know why it became a problem for them to kill Paul? Because he said, I'm a Roman citizen. And then they go, oh, yeah, he's got a way around this. The Jewish people who become Christians aren't technically Roman citizens, but if you're a Jewish person that got Roman citizenship, which was really hard at that time, we would have to protect you. So that's why Paul keeps getting away from the Jews is because he's a Roman citizen, and he even calls out to Caesar, like basically going to their Supreme Court. But these guys didn't have any of those rights, so their life was worth about this much. You don't like them? They bother you, you can behead them. And now, here's a young girl being given the head of a prophet. 
the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and in prison, uh, from the prison. His head was brought in and given to the girl and carried to her mother. John's disciples came and took her body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. So the question I want to ask us, it's very serious, is are you willing to lose your life for Jesus? That's the question. I cannot make that decision for you. I'm willing to give my life for Jesus, so everything in between, I'm willing to go hard for him. I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm not going to look for the opportunities to find a place to sue my employer because they didn't let me stand on my desk and go, I am a Christian, hear me roar, hallelujah. I'm not going to be a false martyr. I'm not going to be a false victim. But what I am going to do is live for Jesus, speak the truth of God to power, to my friends, to my family, and whatever comes, comes. Because if living for Jesus is wrong in this culture, baby, I don't want to be right. Are you listening to me? If it's politically wrong, I don't want to be politically right. I will serve my Lord and Savior Jesus according to this word. And for those lukewarm preachers who want to shake their fingers at John the Baptist and say he shouldn't have gotten involved in all of that, otherwise he wouldn't have lost his head, shame on them. May they grow some spiritual cojones to be like him in the name of Jesus and to get a spiritual backbone. Amen? Amen. Praise God for them. Thank you, Lord. Let's go to the feeding of the 5,000. You ready for some miracles? All right. Verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Aren't you happy for Jesus' miracles? I said, aren't you happy for miracles? How many believe in this? I believe in this. Verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, you know what I love about Jesus is he's going to call out these disciples. But track with it, right? Jesus went to a place and started preaching. Let's just say he preached for about eight hours, maybe ten hours. Who knows the exact time? It's in a desert. It's in a wilderness. There's nowhere to get food. And the disciples come along, and they're like, ah, Jesus, uh, just in case you didn't know, you've been preaching for a while, and everybody's getting hungry, and there's no food to eat. So they thought they were being helpful, but they were being a little bit annoying. So Jesus then looks at them, and look at what he says in verse 16. He said, they don't need to go away. What y'all talking about? They don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. You know what he did? He took their little sassiness of trying to help, or rather he took their little nosiness of trying to help out as if Jesus didn't know where he was. How many know Jesus knew where he was? How many know Jesus knows the difference between a remote place and a city? You don't got to tell Jesus he's in a remote place. He went to the remote place. How many know Jesus knew how long he had been talking for? You don't got to tell Jesus he's been talking. And how many know Jesus knew they were getting hungry? But Jesus didn't care. Can I just tell you right now, we're going to be here till four and test this word out today. And if one of you come up and go, uh, uh, it's, it's holiday weekend, Pastor, and, uh, and they're getting hungry, I'm going to say, they don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat then. If it's your business to get up in my business, then make it your business to go over there and get some tacos for them. Go get them a pizza. You take care of it then. See, we read the Bible, but we don't read the Bible. See, some of you don't know sassy Jesus you got to understand sassy Jesus. Sassy Jesus is basically like, why are you even getting involved in this? Don't you know who I am? It's worth it for them to be out here listening to me. And I don't need you to remind me of where we're at and what I'm doing. So if it's that big of a deal to you, you go take care of it. And he said, they don't got to go anywhere. Now look at what they say. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they answered. In the story of John chapter 6, 1 through 13, we find out where he got those, the disciples got those from. Where'd they get them from, y'all? From where? I can't hear you. Nope. Where'd they get those five loaves and two fishes from? From a little boy. Thank you, Curtis. See, I love the surround sound of the scriptures. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as front left, right, left, back, rear, you know, back left and, and back right, you know. Read it in a surround sound. John in, in, inserts into there the information we didn't have in Matthew. So it's real clear here that they got it from a little boy. So the little boy is like, I'm good. You can keep me here all day. I got my snacks. I got all my snacks. My mom put it in my little lunchbox. I'm ready to go, Jesus. Keep going. 
And these disciples and these people who hadn't thought about what they were going to do had not been responsible to leave when they got hungry. Now the little boy is going to say, I'll share my snacks out of my responsibility. Think about it. Some of y'all come late, but children come on time. Some of you aren't on 201, but children are already in 201. Are you guys listening to me? I started my first church at 22. Some of you 32, and you still don't understand the Bible. Are you understanding me? I started my first church at 22 by God's grace. You're in your 30s and 40s still deciding whether or not you're going to live in sin or not. Come on, get over yourself. They take the responsible thing this boy did by either his mom or himself, take the snacks and go, well, this is one of the only ones we have right here, so this is all we got. And Jesus now directs them to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fishes. He looks up to heaven, gives thanks, and breaks the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Who did he give it to? His disciples and the disciples gave it to the people. I'm not saying you need me to be your God, but you're going to need me to get some things that God has given me. Oh, it got quiet when I said that. I don't need as a disciple to be your God. You only have one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. You don't need Mary or his brothers or his saints. But there are some things that God has given me that he wants you to get, and he is not going to bypass me, the church, the disciples, to give it to you. He didn't say, let's just throw it out, everybody come to me. He said, no, I'm going to give it to you, my disciples. Now, disciples give it to you. Hello, somebody. You want me to give you marriage advice and be there on your couch, hang out with you. No, I've given it to the disciples here. They'll go be on your couch. If you only want it from Jesus, you ain't going to get it. Sometimes Jesus says, I'm going to see, will you trust what I have to give you from others to others? Because if all you wanted is just one way, then that shows you don't trust his church. You are disrespecting all the people who came before you to learn what you now need to learn. You see, that's like you going to, uh, going to work for Apple going, well, unless Steve Jobs trains me, I'm not going to sell Apple products. Unless Steve Jobs shows me how the Apple phone works, I'm not going to do this. Hello, know somebody that was trained by Steve Jobs, that was trained by somebody, that was trained by that somebody, that was trained by that somebody, that was trained by that somebody, by that somebody, by that somebody, it's now going to train you. Do you see how it goes? We're not trying to build a one-man show. We're building a church of disciples. Jesus always empowered his disciples to be the ones that would give out those lessons. As a matter of fact, we can't know Jesus unless we read what the disciples said in this Bible. And unless disciples like pastors and elders, elders and deacons rather, learn this word, it's going to be hard for you to learn it. I'm not saying you can't learn it all by yourself, starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation, but shouldn't you trust that there was somebody here before you learning this thing, being trained in this thing, and that there's actually an apostolic succession from generation to generation of those who have been tested and approved and can give you things by God? And I know you can get your own revies because I get mine too. I get my own dreams. I get my own understanding of the scripture. But the Bible says disciples make disciples of the nations. He told them, you go and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He didn't tell them just go there and give them a Bible and walk away and say obey it. No, the disciples are to take the scriptures and teach it to those who obey it. Do you understand? I'm not saying I'm your savior. I'm not saying I'm your God. I'm not saying that about any disciple. But what I am saying, there are some things that Jesus wants to give you that will come through me, that will come through your leaders, that will come through a church. And if you try to say, Jesus, I don't want bread unless you give me the bread, Jesus says, well, go ahead and starve then. Because this bread is only coming from disciples to you. Isn't that awesome? How many of you have been blessed by friendships in this church and other people in your life? Amen. Never put them above your Savior or even on the same status. We are servants. We didn't make the bread. Hallelujah. I didn't make that bread. How many know we don't get the word of God? We don't make it. We don't multiply it. Jesus does. The Bible says they all ate, were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. You know, see, disciples get the land yet. See, some people, all they want is the bread. They want to be in the crowd. You want to drop your kids off to youth group, don't ever want to serve in youth group. Want to drop your kids off to king's kids, never want to serve in king's kids. You know the problem with that is you never get the leftover land yet that God gives us in our service. Where do you think those 12 baskets went? How many disciples were there? Oh, y'all getting something now. He started in a lote stand after that or a hot bread stand after that. Paul, uh, not Paul, he wasn't there at that time. But, you know, Matthew goes, says, hey, man, now I got a basket of bread. Who wants it? $10 here. Fresh, fresh from heaven. I don't know what happened there with the bread, but it's a great way to look at 12 disciples, 12 baskets, 
12 leaders working, who gets the blessing? Those who are serving. The Bible says, those who refresh others, are they themselves refreshed? Bible says, give, and then it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hallelujah. The Bible says the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Could it be as high as 20,000 altogether? People ask me all the time, do you believe in miracles? Absolutely. Are miracles a violation of the natural law? No. God did not violate the law of bread. God did not violate it. That, those five loaves were five loaves. He did not make five loaves uh, out of that one bread become something other than bread to multiply it. So he didn't take the properties of bread and change it, and he didn't violate mathematics. You know what he did? He brought in a new law, which is I'm the creator, and I can create whenever I want and whatever I want. Just think of it like this. Can you go to a computer program right now and copy and paste a picture of bread 5,000 times? Could you? How many of you know how to use a computer? Let's see if you're up today. Okay, you know how to use a computer. Could you copy and paste 5,000 times? Is that cheating? Is that breaking laws of the computer? No. You just have the power to multiply something because you know how to do it with that program. Who made the program and all the molecules and all the particles and everything out there? Who made that? Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus made everything. And so can He just go copy, paste, copy, paste, copy? Does He violate the bread? No, still the five loaves were there. Does He violate mathematics? No, mathematics still work. He just introduced a law. Now here comes the question. Why didn't he introduce a law when the gavel went down on John the Baptist's head? It didn't turn to spaghetti. And instead of it cutting off his head, it just put a wet noodle on his head. Why doesn't God do that? We talked before. God loves us more than we'll ever know, more than we could ever love ourselves. And everything, including our deaths, work for his good. That's the lane I'm riding on. Today, in the 5,000, it's time to do miracles, copy and paste, show how powerful he is. John the Baptist's day, it's time for a martyr to be strong in the moment of death. I can't complain to that God. How do you even start to complain? Who do you send it to? Uh, excuse me, Gabriel? I don't know if you know what Jesus did down here, but Jesus let John the Baptist die, and then he shows off his power by giving us food, which he easily just could have sent us to the store. It wasn't that even that big of a deal. I would have much rather him save John the Baptist. Gabriel, go give this to the Father and tell on Jesus. Like, how does that even work? I'm complaining about Jesus. And then what does the father say? I and my son are one. If you've seen the son, you have seen me. The son does nothing except what he sees me do. Oh, I'm mad at you now, father. Go get the dove, the Holy Ghost. He's so nice. Go get the dove, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Father and son are being so mean. They're not listening to me. They're letting this happen. Holy Spirit says, I only speak what I hear the father and son say. I only do. What I hear the Father and Son do, or say for me to do. They are one in purpose, one in essence, but yet three separate persons. One God and three persons. Jesus is showing us he can allow us to die and he can allow us to live. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's where we trust his sovereignty. The train of God is moving. And I believe one day we'll see it from his perspective and it will be beautiful. Amen? Amen. Last miracle, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. How many know he's been trying to do that about three or four times in our story? Every time he goes to a place, they follow him. He goes into a house, they follow him. He goes to the lake, they follow him. Finally, Jesus is like, y'all got to go. I got to pray. Sometimes I have to dismiss my wife and kids and go, by, I've got to pray. And I know the wife goes, oh, how could you do that to your wife? You know, women here go, how could you do that to her? No, my wife has to look at me and go, goodbye. I'm going to my prayer closet now. You are not greater than Jesus. If Jesus needed to take time to be alone with the Father, you need to do the same thing. Well, I just pray to myself all the time, you know, pray to God in my heart and inner dialogue. That's not enough. Jesus, of course, was doing that. How many know Jesus was in inner dialogue with the Father? 
talking to himself as he talks to the Father. But why did he need to get alone? Because there is a difference. When Jesus became man, he was going to be the perfect example for us. So that means he had to use a brain like us. And brains don't do good multitasking for very long. He had to get rid of his disciples and say, guys, you're talking too much. You're asking too many questions. I'm tired of being the baker, the candlestick maker. I've got to pray. One voice talking to my father, these ears hearing the words I speak, and then he speaking to my heart. Speaking out loud in prayer blesses the psychology of the soul. Your ears need to hear your words of trust in God. That is why children sing themselves to sleep. Your psychology depends, your healthy mind depends on you speaking prayers. You don't do that in inner dialogue. You must speak the word of God and then take postures of prayer like kneeling, as the Bible said Jesus said, or laying before the Lord or singing before the Lord. You must do those things. Jesus did that. Are you better than Jesus? No. So when are you getting alone today to pray? I encourage all of us to pray at least an hour a day. Make time to be alone with God. Let words come out of your mouth that your ears can hear and take postures of prayer. So he dismisses them. He goes on the mountainside. He prays by himself. And other times he prays till the morning time. As a matter of fact, he does here as well. But uh, this one involves him then doing something as walking on water. Let's go. Later that night, he was alone there. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it shortly before dawn. So that's how we know he prays to the morning. Jesus now goes out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out of fear. Now get this. The same superstition that Herod had to think that Jesus was John the Baptist, the disciples think Jesus is a ghost. How many know they didn't read their Bible very much? There is no ghost hanging out with us down here, fellas. I mean, what are we thinking here? But they're scared because they've never seen anybody walk on water. I mean, how many can relate to that, right? Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And what we can learn from this is that no matter how great our fears are, fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And so those here who have dealt with anxiety and different things, I know uh, on social media and different things, they want to make it sound silly for us to tell you to get over your fear because it just doesn't work that way. It's not that easy. But I want to tell you, if you hear Jesus tell you don't be afraid, it can be solved like that. I have people in this church that were on anxiety medication, dealing with constant fear, and one word from Jesus, don't be afraid, rid their heart of fear. Now, can doctors help, counseling help? Yes, but what are they all going to teach you? Not to be afraid. So you can get a word, or you can get a counselor. It's up to you. It's up to you. Does everybody get that? I'm not putting you down. Sometimes people need counselors. Hello. Even counselors need counselors. Many counselors themselves are depressed and anxious. Many pastors themselves are depressed and anxious. Many doctors need to be healed. Are you listening? But here, here's the point. Jesus can say in one word what counseling can sometimes never do. I know people who have gone to counseling and it doesn't get better. You know? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, let's be real. How many know Robin Williams had counselors? Still killed himself. Hello? How many know a lot of rich people have the best of the doctors, best, of, but they can't get out of their head because they're in a broken cycle of fear and anxiety and depression. And I'm here today to tell you, because when I was on drugs and living a wild life, that was a part of what I would deal with was fear and anxiety and those kinds of things. And it was one word that broke that off of my life, broke it off of my life. I am not downplaying doctors. I thank God for them. I recommend Dr. Carolyn Leaf, a Christian neurologist. I recommend those because they know both sides, the soul and the mind, uh, you know, the body and the mind. Because uh, we believe the, the brain is different than the mind, right? So you got to have the soul and the body together. But listen. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. Now look at Peter. Peter goes, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. How many love Peter right there? It's like Peter says, man, if that's you, Jesus, I want to be where you are. And if you are in the middle of the storm doing the moonwalk on water, Jesus, that's where I want to be. And I love what Jesus says. He says, come. C-O-M-E, come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Did the water change? No, 
Did the storm change? No. But God inserted on the feet of Paul, uh, on the feet of Peter, every step he took, C-O-M-E, became the word and a foundation for his steps. The literal spoken word of God that brought the universe into existence became what he walked on. You can't walk on water. Sadly, people have tried in other countries. They read the Bible and they go, hey, man, let's go try. And they jump out and they don't even know how to swim and they die. You need to know the difference between stories and teachings. Every teaching of Jesus is for you. Every story is not for you. So be careful how you repeat it. Are you listening? Come on, let's track with this. The reason why Peter could walk on C-O-M-E is because that word was spoken to him and that word transformed the environment of where his feet were. If you don't have that word from Jesus to you, water is not going to hold you. Because remember, the water didn't change. And Jesus wasn't doing some David Blaine trick where underneath the water was some plexiglass or they were over a place that kind of had a reef and they couldn't see it because it was dark and the waves were just coming over the reef and he was walking on the reef. This is a miracle of walking on the same word that God spoke in the beginning. Let there be light. Let there be an earth. Let there be water. All of that is what he's now walking on. And then the Bible says here, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, crying, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, how many are just being honest, you might think Jesus asked a dumb question. Why did I doubt? Why do you think I doubted? I have never walked on water before. This was super sketchy. I am not supposed to be here. And it was windy. That's why I doubted Jesus. Why are you even asking me? But hold on. Jesus never asks dumb questions, does he? And he never asks questions he doesn't know the answer to. He's really teaching us a lesson. Just like we ask our kids, do you hear me? Do you understand? We know they understand us. And be like, what's wrong with you? You know what's wrong with them, but you're still asking them. Jesus is saying to him, why do you doubt you of little faith? The answer is in the question, you have little faith. That's why you doubt. You see, the problem isn't our doubts. Everybody has doubts. It's a problem when your faith can't overcome your doubts. It's when you have more doubt than you do have faith. You need to have more money in the the account than you do have bills to pay. Are you listening to me? Okay, and here's the deal. Peter had a deficit of faith, and God is not like, hey, you know, it's cool. At least you came out. You did your best. No, he's rebuking them. Why? Because what is he teaching them right here? What is he teaching them? You shouldn't have doubted. I made the entire place you're on right now. The ground and the water are no different to me, Peter. I made it all, and what I say goes, goes. When I said walk, you should never have questioned it. And I know all of us here can be encouraged by that because how often have you and I got out of the boat, did great things for God, but then we take it into our own hands and get afraid and then start to sink. God said to be single, and then we get nervous and say, well, I'm going to go back to this person because I feel I'm going to be alone. And then we start to sink instead of just walking in our singleness until God sends us the right person. Or God puts us in a church, and the church starts to correct us, and we don't like it. And we take our eyes off Jesus and leave in our own timing and start to sink and wonder why it doesn't work out the same. All of these things we experience in life because of lack of faith is our own doing. Peter never had to get wet that day. He could have stayed dry. But how many know it's better to get out the boat and get wet than stay in the boat and stay dry? At least he got out and learned himself a lesson. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I might get wet, but at least I'm out the boat. Come on, at least I'm walking on water. Because you could, you could almost hear this as he got back into the boat. The disciples be like, oh, look at Peter all soaking wet. What happened, Peter? What happened? You thought you were cool walking on water because you could see like Peter get out the boat be like, oh, man, look, guys, I'm doing it. Look, I'm doing it. And then all of a sudden he starts to sink. And the guys are like, oh, man, you thought you were cool. Look at you. But how many know Peter would have the best comeback? How many know Peter would have the best comeback? At least I got out the boat. Come on. You, you're looking at me. You might say, pastor's gotten wet. Pastor's had some mistakes. Pastor's might have done this. Pastor got out the boat. Come on. Same thing with people in your life. Oh, yeah, I thought that was going to work out. Yeah, it didn't, but, you know, at least I tried. Oh, you know, whatever. No, I'm telling you, at least I tried. 
Trying is a lot in the Bible. The Bible says it's a mustard seed of faith can change your life. You never know what you're capable of with God on your side until you get out the boat and start walking. And I'm not making an excuse for sin. It's not like Peter, you know, started sinking because he started lusting after a woman on another boat, topless out there in the lake somewhere on 4th of July weekend. Come on, cover your eyes, fellas. You know, it's not like that was what made him stumble. What made him stumble was he just stopped trusting the process. The process started by faith in God's word, and then he changed. And if you take this figuratively into our lives, it's always going to be like that. You start the process with God and his word, and then you veer from that, it's always going to result in you sinking. But how many are glad Jesus reached out his hand and caught him? Now watch this, verse 32. When they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Rachel, would you come, please? They got down on their knees, and they worshipped him. Do you know that that would be blasphemy if he wasn't God in the flesh? Go quickly with me as Rachel is coming into Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. How many have read Exodus lately? Don't lie. Raise your hand. A couple of you. Amen. Anybody know what Exodus 20 is? Ten Commandments. Good job, my brother. Look at two of these Ten Commandments, the first two, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And then look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Did they just violate the laws of God? You weren't supposed to worship or bow down before anybody. Please go back to the scripture, sir. Thank you. Are they now idolaters worshiping a creature as the creator? No. They're worshiping God the Son. If I am father human and my son is son human, what are we both? What are we both? Human. If he's father God in heaven and the son of God is on earth, what is the son of God? God. What is father God? What is the spirit of God? God. But now then people say, well, what about children of God? We're called children of God. Are we now God? Mormons think so. Because they go by that mentality. Go to John 3, 16. Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his what? One and only or only begotten. Hmm. Think about this. Is that a contradiction now? There's an only begotten, one and only son, and yet all people who become born again become children of God. You're a son of God. I'm a son of God. She's a daughter of God. Is there a contradiction? No. Go to Romans chapter 8. How is Jesus the only son of God, and yet we're sons and daughters of God? You ever thought about that? Look at Romans chapter 8. Bible says in verse 28, which ties into what we were reading, to, uh, learning today, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, thank you, that he might be the what? The firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So how is Jesus the only son, and yet now we are sons and daughters? Here's how it works. Jesus, God, as the son, became a man, died for us, took our sins, so that men now may become like God. Through Jesus we share in the divine nature, Second Peter says. So Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant that actually changes nature. We go from being sinner to saint. We go from being children of the devil to children of God, not equal to the Father like the Son of God, but we are now like the Son of God in that we share in his nature. He shares it with us. Since I see some strange looks, go to First Peter. You're looking at me strange. I got to show it to you. We share in the divine nature. As Ephesians says, in him, in him, in him, over and over and over again, reminding us that in Christ we partake of these things. So because Jesus became what I was, I get to become like what he is. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, Through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Do I become God like the Son of God? No, but I get to participate. If you get to participate today with the uh, Harlem Globetrotters, does that mean you become a Harlem Globetrotter? Because I participate with the Trinity through the humanity of the Son of God becoming like me, does that mean now I become equal to God? No. I just get to be resurrected like him. I get to have the spirit in me like he had the dove come on him. I get to be like him. Now some might say, well, the angels are called the sons of God. The angels are only called the sons of God because Jesus made them as messengers for himself. But watch, both people and angels cannot be worshipped, only Jesus. They try to worship Peter as they now do the Pope, and the Pope should stop it, but he allows it. That's why I say to the Pope, nope. I don't let him get none from me. I don't kiss his ring. But when they bowed down before Peter, Peter said, no, I'm just a man like you. And then the Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus was an archangel and that we can worship archangels. Nope. In the book of Revelation, when they went to bow down before angels, the angels said, only worship God alone. And yet sometimes people say, where did Jesus say God? He was God. Worship me. Well, in the passage we just read, he let them worship him and he never stopped them. That must mean he's either God or he's a blasphemer. Hello, somebody. Are you listening? And I say back to them, he never said, I'm the Messiah. Come to fulfill all the prophecies either. He always shrouded himself in mystery so that those who were seeking would find those who were knocking doors would be answered or open and those who asked would be receiving. Are you listening? Go back to the passage, please. So what we see here is they fell down and worshiped the Son of God. They were not cheating on Father God. They were not breaking the commandments of God. They were honoring God in the Son, just like they honor God in the Father, and they honor God in the Spirit. And that's why Matthew ends in chapter 28, which we're halfway through now, by the way. We'll start 15 by God's grace Sunday. At the end, it says, baptize them in the name, singular name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if the Father and the Son and the Spirit share the same name, they share the same attributes, they share the same power, they share the same worship. That's why the angels in heaven worship before the throne of the Father and of the Lamb. So my question to you today is who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping something less than God or are you worshiping God in Jesus Christ? Can I hear an amen to that if you're going to worship him? Let's stand up, give it up for Jesus. Let's have altar workers and band come. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this powerful chapter. No matter what you're going through today, whether you're facing martyrdom or you're seeing miraculous powers, keep your eyes on Jesus, saints. I'm going to pray and then dismiss, but I'm going to give you a few moments to make this real. Are you facing today problems where people are coming against you because of your faith? You're being rejected. It's hard for you to be a Christian. I'm going to pray for you right now. Don't give up. Father, touch all of those today who are like John the Baptist doing the right things but are having bad results because people don't like them. I pray you encourage them. I pray you strengthen them. I pray you strengthen their businesses, strengthen their families. No matter who comes against them, Bless them, Lord, in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus. If you're here today and you're walking on the water with Jesus, and maybe you got doubts about waves and other situations, and you're considering moving, you're considering changing a job, you're considering doing something different, would you ask the Lord right now to guide you? Because the same word that got you out of the boat into the miracle you're experiencing,